Be strong and courageous. That's, uh, I think Cindy and I are like working by osmosis at the moment. That's my sermon title, Being Strong and Courageous. We're back in Joshua chapter 1. We'll read that in a moment. Last December, Cindy, Amy, Lizzie, and myself traveled uh, to northern Zambia for a family wedding, and we got to spend some wonderful days on a pioneer commercial farm adjacent to the Congolese border. Um, some of you, we've told some of the other adventures, but one of the things that struck me, how diligent Roger the farmer was in paying attention to what was happening in his fields. They had to clear these fields. They were these giant pivots. They were seven-piece pivots, which meant that they covered more than three square kilometers per pivot. And that's what he had under irrigation. And uh, so this field would just be a tiny little section of one of those pivots. Um, and, and he had five of those, and he would drive them every day, morning and evening, all of them. He kept his eye on what he was and, and needed to get done. And um, he cast this really experienced eye over the condition of just about everything, and paying attention to his soil, to the crops, to the potential yield, etc., and, and the variables that he was keeping in mind were like bewildering to the untrained eye like mine. Um, but essentially he told me, well, look out. When are, the, when are the conditions seemingly just right and, and the stuff's doing great? The crops are doing fine. Just give it water and leave it to grow. When do I need to add something? When do I need to feed it? When do I need to fertilize? When do I need to dial up? Um, is something missing that I need to add into the process? And then when, I, when do I need to get rid of stuff? Where is something present that needs to be taken out of this? Um, whether it's weeds or insects or vermin or whatever it is. And, I mean, their courage and fortitude to feed a nation uh, by taming this virgin bush right up there on the Congolese border was just incredible. And they, like Joshua, were building an inheritance by taking land. This time they weren't taking it from the Hittites and the Amorites and all the otherites. They were literally just taking it from the termites. And, uh, and so there they were. And I was struck by the parallels between them and, and, and the spiritual journey that we we're all on. You see, there's some things that we've got to go, that just needs water. There's some things that go, that needs fertilizer, that needs a boost, that needs to grow, that needs to be added to. And there are other things in our lives that we've got to go, I need to get rid of that. And, uh, and that's true for us individually. It's true for us collectively. And in a sense, we, we, you, you know, this guy was paying such diligent attention. Literally, you know, I was kind of thinking it's a family wedding, but every single day on the farm, the, the wedding was on the farm, every single day, even on the day of the wedding, there was the morning drive and the evening drive, and there was paying attention to what was going on. And in one sense, I'm praying today, God will feed and fertilize our courage, our strength, our resilience. And today we want to ask him to uproot, get rid of, poison our fear and our doubts and our discouragement. So welcome. Uh, and uh, let's go back to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, the orphan, no, sorry, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite countries, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people. Literally, the original kind of says, you will cause these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. So last week we saw, uh, firstly, the promise of a home of their own. And this promise includes victory. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. But the promise is conditional in the sense you've got to actually go there. I'll give you every place where you set your feet. So you've got to go there to get the victory God wants to give you. So there's this promise from God, and yet there's this personal responsibility. And then thirdly, we saw the path to success, which was to do the words of God. Know it, speak it, do it. The, the promise of God's land and his presence is linked to the book of God's words. Um, define your legacy by doing what God says. And secondly, and no, I haven't got this wrong because the main point flows out of point number two today. So first was the promise of land. The second was the means to that success is the word of God. And third was the promise of God's presence, eternal and unconditional. It's never going to be uh, removed from those who walk with him. Today, uh, we look at the implications of this promise because inside the text, which we incredibly, we managed to preach Joshua 1 verse 1 to 9, and we didn't talk about being strong and courageous because that was waiting for this week. There's this repeated command. In fact, three times Joshua is told, be strong. Three times. In fact, four times if you add what the people then echo at the end of the chapter. So the last verse of the chapter, the people say to him, we'll follow you, only you better be strong. And you better be courageous. Be strong. Three times he's told to be courageous, even very courageous. It's like, dial it up. Now, when someone says to you just before you go to the doctor or you're about to jump, uh, you know, bungee jump or surf, and someone says, be strong and courageous, what kind of effect does that have on you about what you anticipate lies ahead? <laughs> yeah. You know that that's not just good advice. You know that stuff is going on. That That is telling you that something is going to be needed from you. Three times, be strong. Three times, be courageous. And for absolute clarity and alignment, he's also commanded not to engage the negative. So right, he's told at the end, do not be afraid. Don't get discouraged. We're going to look at this. Take charge of your heart and your soul, your emotions and your feelings. Don't let them take charge of you. 
There's something in you, someone in you, much deeper and truer to who you are, let alone the presence of God, that is more than your feelings. Your feelings are important. They're a window of honesty and transparency. You can't pretend they're not there. It's no good suppressing them. Your feelings matter, but they are not the things that are meant to govern your life. Your feelings give you insight and your feelings give you energy. They activate actions. They give fuel to your actions. So if you're hopeful, it fuels your actions. But if you're angry, it also fuels your actions. You've got to watch the fuel that you're burning as a person. But one thing your feelings shouldn't be is your feelings are the fuel, but they shouldn't be the steering wheel. (laughs) They shouldn't direct your path. And God makes this very clear. He's, he's saying, God, listen, Josh, this is not just advice. This is not Am I not commanding you? In other words, this is clearly something within your power to engage. We often see ourselves as, as it were, simply driven before the wind of our emotion. You know, where am I going? We're like under this little plastic dinghy on a dam and the wind blows. And no matter how hard you paddle... Your, your, the wind of your emotion is just going to take your dinghy in its direction. The Bible doesn't have that kind of picture. It acknowledges your emotion. It acknowledges what's going on inside of you, but it says it does not have to have the final say. And the interesting thing is you will cause these people to inherit. You will lead these people to inherit. Human agency and God's purpose and plan held together in this one space. But when you call to leadership for the sake of God, you'll discover that the first person you have to lead is yourself. And so for Jackie and Jess and Lindsay and anyone else stepping into leadership, the first person you're going to have to govern and get, <laughs> get a good grip on is you. And mercifully, Galatians 5 verse 23 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is self-leadership, self-control. So God wants to help you take charge of you. And he expects Joshua, even in the Old Testament, to do this. So let's look at this. Number one, being strong and courageous is the outworking of the presence of God. The promise of God's presence precedes and follows these commands. It says, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, verse 6, be strong and courageous. It's the outworking of God's presence. Or take verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. Recognizing the presence of God is one of the means to being strong and courageous. It's the outworking of the presence of God. Now, we know from the New Testament... Old Testament too, but very clearly in the New Testament, that God is present by His Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is for us the actual presence of God. Why does this matter? Because being afraid, being scared, being discouraged, being hopeless, being full of doubt is not just an unpleasant experience. Of course it's an unpleasant experience, but it's not just that. The Bible sees it as so much more. It is giving access and influence to a harmful spirit being. 
And when you, when you step into courage, when you step into faith, when you step into strength, you partner with a helpful spirit being. You partner with a holy spirit being. You see, our Western rationalism has an underdeveloped spiritual awareness. And it doesn't always recognize the ongoing battle and warfare around our lives for and against the purposes of God. And our emotional state, whether healthy or harmful, partners with a spirit, a personal spirit being, and gives it influence around us and in us. So they shape the space we in. Now, some people who, you know, people talk about the vibes you give off or the atmosphere you create. And even in sort of like some quarters today, you'll hear about the aura. You know, how's your aura? How's my aura? Can you read my aura? What's the vibe? What's the atmosphere? Now, they, they, they're trying to quantify something about the emotional impact and, and the intangible stuff that nevertheless carry, we carry with us. Now, the Bible has a language for that. You see, to speak, for example, of an aura is very misleading. Hear me now. Not because the experience isn't real, but it is not accurately describing, according to Scripture, the worldview of what's going on. When my aura is all messed up, it's not because, you know, a little bit unhappy or a little bitter, a little bit grumpy or whatever it is, or worried or anxious. It's because... The presence of God is not defining me, but the presence of someone else. You see, aura is impersonal and mechanical. It's almost like an aerosol. Whereas scripture never views your spirit life like that. It recognizes that you're partnering with someone healthy and holy or harmful and destructive. So the biblical worldview is that our emotions partner with the unseen realm. And in this unseen realm are intelligent and intentional spiritual beings, whether good or bad. So paying attention to my emotions helps me understand who I'm partnering with. So when Joshua is told to be strong and courageous, it's because the Lord wants Joshua to partner with his presence. And Joshua has learned a lot about the presence of God because he stayed in the tent of meeting when Moses went out to go and do. And so the cloud of the Lord's presence would come. And, and, you know, it was fire at night and the cloud during the day. And Joshua learned about the power of participating and partnering with the presence of God. Now, this gives us a fresh insight, for example, into the New Testament of 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. The NIV translation is a little bit weak because it goes back to the impersonal sense of just what God gives you. But the literal reading and say the NASB says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. He recognizes, A, the spirit inside of you should not be timid, but it's not. It's this thing that partners with you. And God has not given you a spirit to partner with your spirit that is a timid spirit. And so when you're in, in a place of timidity, you're inviting something very unhealthy to come and mess with your life, your legacy, and what you're trying to get done. So what does he say? You have received a spirit of power, of love, and of self-leadership. Of self-discipline, self-control. 
So when I take charge of what's going on in my heart, I am making sure that I'm partnering with someone who is holy because being strong and courageous is the outworking of the presence of God with me. And part of hosting his presence, part of honoring his presence, part of staying in the cloud, staying in the fire, is making sure this is not just an idea, it's not just an emotion, it's guarding my heart so that I remain bearing the fruit of the Spirit. It's an outworking of the presence of God. Does that make sense? It's a little bit sort of like, ugh. But, but when you realize it's positive potential, and when you realize you want to quickly deal with the negative stuff, because then you're not just having a bad day, you're in warfare mode. It's true. And, and when we kind of just go, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm a little grumpy, I'm a little bit discouraged, or whatever. Be careful. Now, now, be honest. Goodness me, this is not a day for faking it. But then you've got work to do, and we're going to look at some of the work to do to get from that place of potentially being afraid or discouraged or worried. So the second thing in the story is that being strong and courageous means dealing with the past. Now, we just read, Moses, my servant, is dead. Seems like the past is past, and you're just stepping into the new thing. But Numbers chapter 13 and 14 tells us the tragic backstory to trying to enter this land for the first time, and Israel failed even though God intended them to succeed. You see, God had delivered the children of Israel under Moses, overthrowing the gods and the powers of Egypt and redeeming his people through an incredible display of supernatural signs and wonders. I mean, just read the book of Exodus and I hope, you know, the numbers and others. It's mind-blowing stuff. Now, you would have imagined that this people would have kind of gone bouncing, you know, like on cloud nine, reveling, delighting in the amazing, awesome things that they had experienced. Whether it was water, you know, breaking out of a rock, whether it was the seas being parted, whether it was manna coming down from heaven, whether it was, the, you know, just looking and seeing God's presence as fire over your camp at night. You know, like, thank you, Lord, for the warmth or the cool cloud during the day. Gee, God, you know just what I need. And, and these people literally lived with it. You would imagine that they would have been like on the front foot of faith, but not so. Their generational legacy was one of doubt, fear, discouragement, grumbling, and disobedience, in spite of what they had seen. And the Lord actually says at one point in Numbers 4, nobody who's seen what I have done is going to enter the promised land simply because you have seen it and you just didn't partner with me. You didn't step forward into this space. It's, it's like, it's crazy. Nobody except for Joshua and Caleb who refused to define what they saw in the promised land through filters of fear. So the other 10 went in, and they filtered everything they saw. Like these, I mean, these people were like giants. In other words, they were flourishing and fat. They were doing so well. But instead of seeing, wow, what a great land that can produce people like this, they go, wow, what intimidating people. And they see the same evidence, but through the lenses of fear. 
And they say, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Joshua and Caleb saw that land through the lenses of faith. Interesting, the Lord says of Caleb, for example, in Numbers, 24, uh, Numbers 14, 24, he has a different spirit. Caleb has a different spirit. And notice this, and therefore follows me with all his heart. <laughs> he has a different spirit, and so his heart follows. And his heart follows me, and he follows me wholeheartedly. As a man whose order is intact and in place. His heart, which includes his emotions, is rooted in a different spirit and results in radically different attitudes than the guys around him. And so too with Joshua. Now this is crucial when you come to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua, you and Caleb were the guys who refused to bow to that spirit. But you were completely outvoted and so you had to walk and live with the consequences of 40 years but now you have got to make sure that you lead, you guide, you direct with a different spirit. You cannot let the past define what is about to happen. That's absolutely fundamental to understanding Joshua chapter 1. Joshua, you must take up your generational promise of inheritance. But to do so, you must deal with the generational legacy of fear and discouragement. I mean, I don't want to rip anyone off, but there's, there's a, church, a couple of churches called the Joshua Generation. And they see themselves as the guys who are taking the land. Well, actually, Joshua's generation was the guys who wandered around the wilderness. And Caleb and Joshua were the exception in the Joshua Generation. And they got, as it were, and had to break with the legacy of their own generation. And they to help a new generation define itself by faith and not fear. And Jesus taught us when we're going to deal with the past, it requires a lifestyle and rhythm of repentance and forgiveness. You've got to recognize the rubbish and then you've got to start. And we've taught on this before. But one of the key questions that you get to ask God in this process is, if you're starting to see these negative things present, Doubt, discouragement, fear. When did this door open? How did it get access? How did it get access in our land? Who opened the door? Who do I need to forgive? Where do I need to repent? So often we either we ask the question, who do I need to blame? Or, you know, how can I feel more sorry for myself? And, and, and none of those help. Blame doesn't help. When you assign responsibility, you do it in order to repent and forgive. That's it. If you want to do this in the gospel way, those are your two options. And you're going to forgive and bless that person, pray that they would also find a different spirit, and you're going to repent and believe that God has the power to break the legacy of the past. And when we do that, we remove the enemy's permission uh, to occupy and his point of access. We say, you, I will not partner with you. You're not going to be the spirit that defines me and my interactions with others. And in, in the language of Matthew chapter 12, we bind up the strong man and throw him out of the house so that we can fill up the house with good things. That's how Jesus actually saw his mission. Like he's literally invading a strong man's house by coming to earth 
and throwing him out. It was a battle. It was a warfare. It was an invasion. But he wants to establish a new spirit in that house. He wants that house to be filled with good things. So the third point, the second point is that being strong and courageous means we deal with the past. And then being strong and courageous is a function of faith. Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 4, read how, uh, how after Jesus calmed a storm, he said to his disciples, Why are you still afraid? Where's your faith? Why you got no faith? Do you still have no faith? You see, fear is a powerful form of negative faith. You believe something, but you're believing the wrong thing. <laughs> fear is not just an emotion. It's a negative faith. Hope is an expression of positive faith. You're listening to the wrong voice when fear and discouragement and doubt are defining you, <laughs> to use it badly, when your aura is dodgy, you know, and, and you're filled with that negative stuff. And this is why Joshua is then commanded to saturate his heart, his thoughts, his words, and his actions with the word of God. You see, faith positively comes by hearing the message and we know as in the New Testament, the word of Christ, the anointed one. And so time and again throughout scripture and history, God's voice breaks into environments where there is a culture, an atmosphere, a spirit of fear or discouragement, oppression and despair. And he steps in and he says, today the, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. Freedom for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind. And it's the word of God that begins to activate the actions of God on the earth for the sake of the kingdom. So too with Joshua. Be strong and courageous because you will cause, you will lead these people to inherit the land I promised to your forefathers. So God and his word is, of course, the ultimate cause. We take no credit. But in a very real and biblical sense, when, like Joshua, we find strength and courage to take God at his word and to receive the gift of faith. So even as I'm speaking God's words today, you have an offer to say, he doesn't know what he's talking about because my life's much harder than that. Or you can receive that gift of faith and say, God, I am activating this thing because your word is my resource to become strong and courageous. Your word is my resource to find the faith that's going to keep me strong and full of courage. And you become the cause, the trigger of a new legacy. The generational story can change starting from you. So guys, right now, in our country and in our world, the narrative of fear and discouragement is just massive, isn't it? Let's just be honest. City will tell you, it's probably the sermon I've prayed the most in years because I realize I'm coming against a strong man in the name of Christ. And you're facing the same thing that I'm facing. 
And this is not just a pep talk of positive thinking. This is a battle. And we know it's real. And it's playing out around our city. It's playing out in the Brackenfells. And this fear and this anger and this discouragement and this hopelessness is playing out in the Sienecals. And it's playing out on the R300 in the protests. And it's playing out in the different spaces around us. And it's playing out in some of the responses to the pandemic. And the narrative of fear and discouragement and that there's nothing you can do about it is just massive right now. I'm glad not too many of you are saying amen, but actually you do need to say amen. Because it's no good denying what is going on around us. But it's no good saying that's going to have the final say. We have to recognize what there is, but then we must take up the tools of the gospel and respond to it. It's not just the atmosphere around us. It's not just that we're feeling a little bit low. It's because we're at warfare with another kingdom. And we need to recognize the battle for faith and hope. You see, Joshua could have gone, guys, I just don't know. And if you think about some of the things that he would face in the next few days and weeks, I mean, they would have to walk up to a river in flood. They would, they would have to approach a city with all its defenses apparently invincible and intact. They would have to defend an ally who had become an ally by crookery and eventually have to say, sun stand still, like change the cosmos. That's not going to happen when you're giving into fear. <laughs> That's going to happen because you're defining yourself by the word of God and by faith. So I'm going to invite us to name. And I don't know if you need to shout out or, or just come forward. But I need us to name because it's no good just leaving the stuff vague. What are some of the fear and discouragement triggers that we are facing right now? What are the things that are getting on top of us and causing us to lose hope, lose faith, lose our vision and, and, and clarity of what God is calling us to do? I could say what I think. And maybe you go, yes. And I could still preach another half an hour. But when you say what you see, it's, there's, a, there's a very special power in identifying it from your side. So anybody, what is, what is the stuff coming against us? And we're going to spend some time praying uh, and, and doing some work as, as a congregation in small groups once we've identified it. What is some of the stuff coming against us right now? Division, a spirit of division. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Thank you, Bert. Fear of the future. Selfishness. It's all about me. Selfishness. Am I okay? I've got my clan. I've got my clan. So I'm okay. My little circle is fine. Avoiding responsibility. Avoiding responsibility. Confusion. Confusion.
Yeah, COVID-19, literally this pandemic. Ungodliness. There's many things coming against us. What I want you to do is get into smaller groups just where you are and, and, and recall some of the things that I've just said and you might need to add some of your own. So the first thing you're doing is you're going to name it. Then you're either going to forgive or repent it and or both. Most often it's both. Like, Lord, how did this thing get in? How did this thing even? And, and when you actually ask the question, you might realize, okay, this is how it's coming in. These are the people who actively, I forgive them in the name of Jesus. I forgive them for the lies they're believing. I forgive them for even thinking that by bringing that in, they're doing what's necessary or good. Um, and, and, then, and so we forgive and or repent. Where have I partnered with this thing? Where have I given in to doubt or discouragement? And then we want to kick out, reject, resist, exercise that which would stay with us and cause harm. Because we're not just dealing with our emotions. We're actually dealing with these spirit beings that want traffic through this. And so we tell them, get lost in Jesus' name. We submit ourselves to God. We resist the devil. He must flee. And then we actively invite and receive and welcome the opposite that comes from the Lord. So you're going to, those steps, okay? The first one, recognize, repent or forgive and or, and then kick out and replace. Okay, let's do it. Thank you.